Amen and amen. This morning, we're going to be starting out in John chapter number nine. One of the main things that we're going to be looking at today is faith. Faith is an important part um, of our faith. It is uh, walking, amen, without seeing. It's believing something that you don't even see. Faith is very important to our walk as believers. If you don't have faith, you don't have nothing. Um, it takes faith to even become a believer. In fact, uh, A.W. Tozer, who's you know a great uh, theologian, revivalist kind of preacher, he once said that um, faith is not a conclusion that you reach. It's a journey that you live. And any time that you think of faith as a, as a destination, you've got it wrong because faith is just a way of life for us. As believers, as we go through this world, how many of y'all know that this world is in opposition to God? This world is antagonistic towards God. It's at enmity with God, it says in Galatians chapter 5. So anytime you live in this world, you're going to have to exhibit and depend on faith. And so faith is just a way of life for the believer. And any believer who does not live by faith is going to be very, very discouraged, very disappointed, amen, and very downtrodden. And so that's kind of, we want to uh, pick up this message. We're just going to begin in verse number one. And there's really two main sections that we're going to get out of this. We're going to get here at the beginning, then we're going to pick it up kind of in the middle, and then we're going to go to a few different places. So in John chapter number nine, beginning in verse one, uh, this is the passage where uh, Jesus heals this guy that was blind. And anytime uh, you know you look at the miracles that Jesus performed, he never performed the same kind twice. You know why? Because somebody would have started a church that way. Amen? Somebody would have started a denomination or a movement that way. But sometimes God does things different ways. Amen? And so here in this, in this uh, passage, we're going to look at how uh, Jesus healed this blind man and pick up some truths out of this. So verse number one, it says, Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, this was kind of the tradition was if somebody had a sickness, which this kind of goes in church world today, if somebody has a sickness, they're in sin. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's not what it is. That's not what it is, but... He's going to explain why this is happening. So first off, I just want to just kind of parallel something. This guy was born blind. He didn't do anything wrong. He was born this way. Amen? He was innocent. And I want to just tell you that sometimes some of us are born and we're born into opposition. Some of us have born challenges. These challenges sometimes come at us, and some of us have been struggling with certain challenges all of our lives. It's what we call those long-time battles, those things that haunt you. They always come back for you. This is kind of a long-time battle, obviously, that this guy had. Um, but this was a lifelong battle, and some of you, I think, can relate to a lifelong battle with something. Um, but Jesus said, uh, neither had this man sinned nor his parents. So he makes it abundantly clear nobody sinned in this situation. Just kind of clearing up some bad theology that the Jews had. Nobody sinned. It wasn't him. It wasn't his parents. And look what he says. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work 
as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And we praise God for that. Jesus is the light of the world. He, in fact, he says in another passage that no man walks in darkness, amen, that follows him. If you follow in Jesus, you're not going to be in darkness. If you're in darkness, it's because you need to reexamine your steps and your faith and get back in Christ. No man will be in darkness. You say, I don't understand what's going on. Hold on to Jesus. He'll help you understand. Amen. Verse number six, when he had thus spoken, watch this healing. He said, he, he spat on the ground, he made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, hold on. Don't you think Jesus could have just snapped his fingers or something and just opened the guy's eyes right then? He could have done anything he wanted to do. But he did it this way for a reason. And I'll show you that in a minute. But I just want you to, to think on that because I'm going to show you something in a minute. So he, he made clay. He spit on the ground. He made clay. And he anointed this guy's eyes with the clay, with spit and dirt. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. Now, this word Siloam is, uh, a lot of people believe that this is speaking of, in the Hebrew tongue, Shiloh, which is prophesied in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. Shiloh is a, a name for the Christ or for the Messiah. But he's telling him to go wash in the certain pool and watch what happens. He said, which is by interpretation sent. And what did this blind guy do? It says, he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. So something I want you to I want to point out right here is the response of the guy that was blind. Whenever Jesus put mud on his eyes, he said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, right? And this guy, it just says he just went his way. He didn't make excuses, he made way. And a lot of times, whenever the Lord presents us with something according to faith, a lot of times we make excuses for why we can't do what he's asked us to do. Sometimes he'll get you to, by faith, go ahead and forgive somebody even though they didn't repent. Sometimes he'll, he'll get you to do an act of faith, to take that step of faith, amen? Go through that door, take a step of faith, and sometimes we just make all kinds of excuses. Well, everybody's going to laugh at me. I'm not ready yet. You know, sometimes somebody may ask you to go share your testimony with somebody, go spread the gospel. I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not ready for that. Look, if you don't step by faith, you're never going to see like what, this guy, what happened to this guy. This guy had a transformative experience because he took a step of faith and made way instead of making excuses. And so, so many times we're guilty of making excuses instead of going about our way. And just think for, an, just think for a minute, put yourself in position. Just think about the circumstances. You have a guy that's blind, and Jesus says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Well, how do I know where I'm going? I'm blind. I mean, most people will say, well, I'll go if you'll take me, you know, take me by the hand. But you don't see none of that. You don't see no excuses, nothing. You just see what I call first-time obedience, first-time obedience. This is kind of a faithful obedience. Whatever the Lord asked me to do, even though it may sound foolish, I mean, you just put mud on my eyes. Now you're telling me to go wash in the pool and I'm going to be able to see? I mean, this doesn't make sense. Take this mud off my face. How dare you, right? So many things go through our minds. If you kind of look 
And one of, the, one of the greatest ways to understand the Bible is just kind of put yourself in that position. Just read in, the, read in the passage and imagine that you're there watching this thing unfold and you see this guy that is blind from birth getting mud put on his eyes and told to go. And if my first thought was, well, how's he going to get there unless somebody takes him by the hand and gets him there? Jesus doesn't say, now Peter, grab him by the hand and take him to the pool of Siloam. He doesn't say, you know, whenever you get there, whenever you find out where it is, go over it. He doesn't say any of that. When you're ready, you can, no, he just says, get up and go. And the guy says he made way. And one of the things I believe that we have um, in our human nature is an excuse. Um, we have an excuse for everything that the Lord asks us to do. This is our, this is our flesh. Our, anytime God asks us to make a step of faith, we're always going to make an excuse on the backside of it. Why it doesn't make sense. Why we shouldn't have to do it. Why somebody else should have to do it. This, you know, it's not going to make any difference. You know, we, we have a ministry here at the church. Um, we're, we're going out in a nursing home, going out into the community and doing things. Well, what difference does it make? We'll take a step of faith and watch and see. Amen. Watch and see what God will do if you'll take a step of faith and go through that door and minister to others. But what we've got to do is get outside of that comfort zone and stop making excuses. Well, this guy, he didn't make excuses. He made way. And, you know, here's something about obedient hearts. Obedient hearts always make ways, not excuses. An obedient heart. You know what a, a heart of obedience is? A heart of obedience is, is just like your, your father or your mother when you want to please them. You want to do whatever you can do to, to make things right, to, to be obedient to them. If you're, you know, they ask you to clean your room for the fifth time, okay. They ask you to clean your room again. Again? You mean you want me to do it again? Do you remember whenever the Lord was talking about offenses and uh, Peter said, well, how many times do we got to forgive somebody? The Lord said 70 times 7. Amen. And you remember, you remember what the response was? Lord, increase our faith. Help us, right? Increase our faith. How do we do this, right? That's the, that's the response is, well, how can I do that? But an obedient heart just does it because God asks us to forgive. However many times somebody offends us, God asks us to forgive because God is willing to forgive us. Amen? So obedient hearts will always find a way uh, to, to not make excuses, but to make way. But here's something interesting about an obedient heart. Obedient heart, an obedient heart starts with obedient thoughts. Okay, before, before we're going to obey, we make a decision to obey. With, when it comes to God, if it doesn't matter what God asks me, us to do, we're going to do it. That's a decision that an obedient heart makes before they even get in the situation. In, in, for an example, whenever Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were in Babylon, and King Nebuchadnezzar, right, fired up the fiery furnace, and he said, if you don't bow down, you're going to get thrown into the, to the furnace. They didn't have to stop and say, should we or should we not? Let's not. They had already made a determination because they had already put in their mind they're not going to worship any false god. They're not going to defy their god. They're not going to defile their faith. They're going to honor God in all that they do. So they had this thought in their mind before they ever got in the battle. 
Before they ever got in the battle, they had made the decision that they're going to honor God and walk in faith no matter what the consequence is and no matter what the situation comes. And that is exactly what's going on here. Whenever an obedient heart gets in this situation, God wants us to have in our mind a determination to honor him first and foremost, no matter what it costs. Because if you'll honor God, God will honor your faith. If you'll walk by faith and honor God in all that you do, God will take notice. And God will do what? He lifts up. He lifts up those that are humble. He lifts up the meek. He lifts up those that will give him honor and glory. Well, one of the things that happened... If you're familiar with the story, um, this guy, like I said, he did go and he went. And you know what happened when he went in the pool of Siloam? His eyes opened. His eyes opened. Now, watch what happened. It says, um, he washed, he went therefore, he went his way therefore, washed, and he came seeing. No questions asked, just obedience. And I just want to challenge you this morning. The next time God asks you to do something, don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. Just obey God. Just obey God. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? And some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. But he said, I am he. Now, let's pause for a second. Now, let's, let's kind of bring this into maybe a situation in our lives. You know, whenever God changes you, you become a new person. In Christ, and you know, all your neighbors, all your old friends, they say, is that really him? Because I remember what she used to be like, or I remember what he used to be like. Is that really him? Amen. And you know what he did? He said, I am him. There was no shame. There was no shame in the game. He was so thankful that he was able to see there was no shame. He didn't say, you know, well, I don't, I don't want to make big waves. I don't want everybody, I don't want to get everybody's attention. I don't want to do. He just said, yeah, that's me. Jesus changed me. That's me. Amen. And if you're a person who Jesus has changed, you should be thankful. Amen. And listen, listen to this part. People should notice. You see, the, this is a physical representation of what happens spiritually. But this guy, he just came away seeing, and every, all the neighbors said, something's different. Who's this guy? And your neighbors, your friends, your old acquaintances, people you went to school with, people you work with, people around you, they should say, I, I think you're the same person, but, man, you're way different. What has happened to you? What's gotten into you? Amen. The Holy Ghost got in me. <laughs> Well, this, there was a big change in this guy, and everybody knew it, and he wasn't ashamed about it. And just, a, just a word to drop in you, amen? People should notice a change in you. If people, if people can't tell the church from the world, we've got major problems. And how many of y'all know we got major problems? <laughs> we got major problems because the, the church has been so busy trying to blend into the world, act like the world, look like the world, when God has called us to stand out. Our testimony should go before us. People should be able to tell the difference between us and the world. But if we, look, if the divorce rate in the church is just as high or higher as in the world, there's a problem. If the church accepts homosexuality just like the world, there's a problem. If the world doesn't have a problem with the and the church doesn't have a problem with abortion, there's a problem. 
And if the world tells you you can worship any God and the church says you can worship any God, there's a problem because there's only one God. Amen? There's only one God. There's only one Savior, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you one thing. What's going on right now is the world is revving up on this one world religion where you can worship however you want as long as it's not Jesus. As long as it's not Jesus, you can do whatever you want to do in the name of God. But once you bring up the name of Jesus, you're going to rattle some bones. You're going to rattle some snakes. So um, look what happens here, though. He said, I am he. Therefore they said unto him, How were thine eyes open? And he answered and said, A man that is called Jesus. And I'm going to stop right there for a second. But you see the glory goes to Jesus. He didn't give the glory to the pool. He gave the glory to Jesus. If you were a drunk and today God has saved you and you're sober, give the glory to the Lamb of God. If you were a sinner and today you stand forgiven, give glory to the King of glory. Amen. If you've got a past that he severed from you, give glory to the King. Amen. And that's what this guy does. He says, who, who did this to you? He said, a man called Jesus. And when, when was the last time that you told somebody that a man called Jesus changed your life? Amen? One time somebody came to me and they asked me, they said, Brother Kenny, I'm just going through a dry time. How many of y'all know what it's like? Go through a dry, they said, Brother Kenny, I'm just going through a dry time. Nothing's working in my life. I just, you know, every time I read the Bible, it's just like, it's just like reading the newspaper. There's no power in it. There's no victory in my life, all this kind of stuff. I just said, okay, well, look, when was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When was the last time you went out and shared the gospel? When was the last time you told somebody, right, that unless they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that they would go to hell? When was the last time you shared the gospel? They said, it's been a while. I said, go do that. Go do that and then let me know. And you know what? When you share the gospel, it will revive your spirit. If, if you're quenching the spirit by not sharing the gospel, look, here's the thing about a cup. A cup can only hold so much water, and until you start pouring out, God's not going to pour any more in. And if the water is stale inside you, you need to start pouring some out. You need to start sharing the gospel. You need to start telling people just like this guy did, a man called Jesus changed my life. And if he changed an old, rotten, dirty sinner like me, he can change you too. If he can give hope to me he can give hope to you too if he set me free of my past he can set you free of your past too amen and so you see he says it's a man called Jesus that's who he gives glory to and that's who we should give glory to amen now moving forward now how many of y'all know that um, Y'all probably are familiar with this passage, but later on, the, the Pharisees, which is the religious crowd of the day, they see this guy that was once blind but can now see, and they're trying to figure out how this happened, right? And they know, I, you know, deep down, they know what happened. They know the real deal, but they're trying to get this guy to say something so they can pin it on Jesus. And so they're questioning and questioning and questioning. Now, how many of y'all, just think for a minute, as we get into this part of the, as we get into this part of, of John chapter nine, just think about this: the Pharisees, right? We've got a guy that was once blind, and now he can see. And instead of doing this number, 
praise God, they're going, how did this happen? You tell us how it happened. When did this happen? Where did it happen? Right? This is a religious spirit that's rising up. A religious spirit, well, that's not the way it's supposed to be done. That's not the way that we do it around here. Amen? And so, and this guy, well, watch this. I'll get into it. Okay, watch this. We're going to skip it on down to verse number 24 because what happened was they first, they, they first led this inquisition against the guy. Then they brought his parents in there, and his parents didn't want to get in trouble. They just pointed at his kid, right? Some good parents there. <laughs> Don't ask us, ask him. So, and then, so we're going to pick it up. It says, uh, verse number 23, Therefore said his parents, he's of age, ask him. Then again, called they the man that was blind, was blind, and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. Do you know what they're saying? The same thing the world tells you. You can talk about God, just don't say it was Jesus. It's the same thing the world tells you. You can talk about God. Do you know that Islam and the Catholic Church just made a pact last week. Last week, and they said they did it in the name of God because they both agree on that one name, but not the name Jesus. Not the name Jesus. It's the beginning of a lot of prophetical things going on right now. But you see what they're saying? They're saying, look, we, we recognize that you can see now. You can say that God did it, just don't say Jesus did it. This same religious spirit that was against Jesus back then is against Jesus today, is against the testimony that you've got today. But if you stand forgiven today, it's because God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. To everyone that believes, amen? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father but by me. So you can say God all you want, but if you reject Jesus, you're not going to get there. Now, he said, um, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, where I was blind, now I see. You see the glory? He's just giving glory to Jesus. He said, I don't, you, you can say whatever you want about him. All I know is he changed my life. It's kind of like, you know, somebody tells you, well, God doesn't work like that today. God doesn't work like that today. God doesn't set captives free today. God doesn't heal people today. God doesn't deliver people from bondages. God doesn't do this, do that. Well, you know what? You're too late because I once was blind and now I see. I once was in bondage and now I'm free. I once had chains wrapped around me and today I can lift up holy hands and worship a holy God. I once was bound, but now I'm in liberty. Amen? And so God does a work, and we need to testify to that work. And that's what this guy did. He said, you know what? I don't know what you want to call Jesus, but I can tell you this. I used to be blind, but now I see. <laughs> Amen? What a response. What a response to a religious spirit. But look, even though you give a great response to a religious spirit, religious spirit still a religious spirit. I want to show you something right here, and this is I want to key in on this. Um, look what they said. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How 
open he thine eyes. I want you to listen really closely to this. A religious spirit always looks for a formula. An obedient heart looks to faith. So what you have presented in this passage is some people look for the formula and other people just believe. If you'll be just a faith person, God will do supernatural, ex exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. If you'll just walk by faith, God will do miraculous things in your life. But if you've got to live by a formula, you'll never see it. You'll be dry, you'll be rotten, and you'll be pouting in the corner when everybody else is walking in victory. You'll have your arms folded, your, your chest stuck down, you'll be mad at the world because everybody else is in victory but you're not amen if you're looking for a formula you got it wrong because God's not a formula God's not a formula God amen is alive and you're not going to get there by a formula you're going to get there by faith so there's a, a couple of things I want to show you about this formula versus faith concept is a very important concept I want you to get down because so many times we think well I did this and I did that, and I did this, and that's what I did back then. Why is it different now? Well, I saw sister so-and-so do this, and then I saw sister so-and-so do that, but nothing's happening to me, right? Because God's not a formula. God's asking you to live by faith, to walk by faith, amen? Not walk by a formula. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says we walk by faith and not by sight, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. So when a believer lives his life or her life, God's calling you to take steps of faith. Amen? All throughout the Bible, whenever Jesus delivered somebody, whenever Jesus healed somebody, whenever Jesus had compassion on somebody, whenever Jesus fed the 5,000 or the 4,000, you know, he did it different every single time because he's not going to allow us to make a formula out of how to get to him. All right. Now, let's go to a couple of passages, and we're going to kind of develop this thought a little bit. Um, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. It's one of the most important things that we need to understand is that God requires faith. God requires faith. Look at verse number 6. Hebrews 11, verse number 6. It says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you're going to be pleasing to the Father, you've just got to trust the Father. You've got to believe that he is and that he rewards those that diligently seek him. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know all the steps. You don't have to know the formula. All you got to know is that God's for you, so who can be against you? And whenever God asks you to do something, you take that step of faith. Even if it don't make sense to the world, it makes sense to God, and God wants to see if you'll trust him over what you see with your eyes. Amen. Whenever David picked up those rocks and he saw Goliath over there, that doesn't make sense. Amen? That doesn't make sense to the natural eye. But to the eye of faith, he was obeying God, and he said, I'm not going to allow this guy to defy my God. Amen? Amen? To defy the God of Israel. Now, 
So we see that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So why is it that so many of us struggle with living by faith? Why is it that so many of us, we want to live comfortably? We want to live in the formula area. We want to live in this, the mechanical area of our faith. But if we're going to see God move, we're going to have to get outside of the mechanics and we're going to have to get into letting go and following after God. Amen? Believing that God rewards those that diligently seek him. If anybody ever diligently seeks after God, they will find God. God will move in their life in a powerful way, no matter how deep or how dark the past is, no matter how heavy the chains of bondages are, no matter how strong the addictions are, they all fade away when God moves in your life. Now, one of the things that happens, one of the things that happens, I told you earlier that there's a mindset that we've got to get in, right? Before we ever get into the battle, we've got to get in that mindset. That's what this guy, the Lord said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and he just went. The decision was already in his head to do whatever Jesus asked him to do. Amen? Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I'll show you why that's important. Um, go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. We're going to pick, the, pick this passage up in verse number 3. Now, one of the things that we need to understand is that faith, faith, faith is an important part of our lives, like I said, because without it, it's impossible to please God, okay? And secondly, over in First um, Timothy chapter number six, we're told this. Paul tells Timothy this. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Sometimes we forget faith is a fight. Faith is a fight between what you see with your eyes, what you feel, and what God says. A lot of times, what you see with your eyes and what you feel is going to be in opposition to what God says. So that's why that's why Paul wrote to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy 6, and he said, fight the good fight of faith. Don't let go of what God has said. Don't let go. Don't get discouraged. Don't grow weary. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. But fight in faith. Amen? So anytime that we talk about faith, I want you to remember faith is a fight. Every morning you wake up, you have a choice of whether to, to walk in faith or walk in flesh. And God gives you that God gives you that choice. He gives you the choice. You know that you don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to pray. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to stay encouraged. You don't have to walk in victory. But God has all those things available for you if you'll walk in faith. Amen. So faith is a fight. And if you're going to walk in faith, it's going to be a fight. You're going to be fighting against the things that you see with your eyes and the things that you feel. And if you'll, if you'll honor God's word above what you see and above what you feel, God will, God will do a work in your life. 
So many testimonies. You look through the Bible of all the saints of God that have gone on before is of people who walked by faith and not by sight, who honored God more than they honored men, who, who walked in the counsel of God. And, and sometimes it takes you in opposition to what man wants you to do. But if you'll honor God, God will honor you. Watch this. It says in verse, uh, verse number three, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. This is the sight. Even though we live in this realm that we see, that's not the realm we fight in. You see, so many times we get mad because somebody took our parking spot or somebody didn't say thanks or somebody did this or somebody did that. So-and-so did this to me and so-and-so did that to me. You know, I'm always, whenever I get into this uh, this passage of scripture, I'm always reminded of something that Leonard Ravenhill said one time. He said that if your enemy, if your enemy has a social security number, you've got the wrong enemy. Because your enemy is not in the flesh. Your enemy's in the spirit. And, and if you think your enemy is a person, you're wrong. Because your your enemy is a spirit, it's a spiritual battle. So though we walk in the flesh, that's not how we fight. That's not where the war takes place. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, listen to this, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of of Christ. You see, spiritual war, spiritual war funnels you down into this place where you're willing to take every single thought that goes through your mind and through your heart, you're willing to take it captive to the obedience of Christ. See, an obedient heart starts with an obedient thought life. If you're not willing to control your thought life, you're not ready to walk in obedience and honor God. But once you're ready to get in the battle, the battle, right, it starts here. And then it works its way through here and out here. But it starts in the thought life. We've got to be ready to take captive every disobedient thought and bring it where? To Christ. To the obedience of Christ. Sometimes, you know what? The Bible says that, that in Ephesians that the enemy takes those fiery darts and he launches them, right? And we're to quench those fiery darts with the shield of faith. Those fiery darts are thoughts. Those fiery darts in Ephesians 6, those are thoughts. Sometimes you know that things will cross your mind you haven't thought of in 30 years. Sometimes things will cross your mind that are so evil and diabolical you wouldn't even tell nobody about it. Even sometimes during church, you might have evil thoughts. You might have, even during worship, an evil thought will just run right through your mind. You know what that is? That's a fiery dart from Satan. That's a fiery dart from Satan. Because here's the thing. If you hold on to it, if you hold on to it, right behind it is a word of condemnation. See, I told you you were low down and rotten. If you were really saved, you wouldn't be thinking that. So the, the enemy takes these fiery darts and he throws them at you. So what the fight of faith is that he's talking about right here is taking those evil thoughts. What you've got to do is get on the offense. When those evil thoughts come into your mind, this is the first reaction to a person who fights the good fight of faith. The first reaction is this. God, 
That is an ungodly thought that I just that just entered into my mind. It didn't come from my heart. I don't want it. I reject it. I rebuke it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And what I always do is I flip the script, you know? So it's like if if the if the evil thought comes in your mind, like go rob a bank, then you'll have to work, right? So that by flipping it, you say, God, that's an evil thought. I reject it. I rebuke it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only am I not going to rob that bank, I'm going to pray that nobody robs the bank ever, that their security is tight, that, that, you know, that nobody ever comes in and damages anything in the bank. So what you do is you just kind of, our gener the generation younger than me, really, they say flip the script. You just kind of turn it on its head. And so whenever you have those thoughts, you've got to go on the offense and take those things where? To the obedience of Christ. So every evil thought, and if you'll do that, you'll be in a position, you'll be in a position to obey Christ whenever he says, because watch this next verse. A lot of times, a lot of times people miss the, a lot of times people miss this verse. So you take every thought to the obedience of Christ for this purpose. Look. And having in a, ready, a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see, the thought life precedes the, 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 the obedient steps being fulfilled in your life. If you want to walk in obedience to God, and I'm sure you do, if you want to walk in obedience to God, you've got to get a hold and got to get a grip on the thought life in you. See, here's one of the things that, the Lord said in Proverbs chapter 4, he said to guard your heart, right? Guard your heart with all diligence. This is Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If you're not willing to guard your heart or your mind or your thoughts and take all those evil things into captivity to the obedience of Christ, if you're not willing to do that, you're going to walk those things out eventually. In other words, if you think the wrong thoughts long enough, you'll act on them because it'll, it'll set up this, this um, you'll have like a split personality. You'll have a church life, and then you'll have a quote-unquote real life. And, that, and, and eventually, they're going to clash. Eventually, you're going to have a civil war inside you. And so if you're going to walk in obedience to God, you've got to take those thoughts into the captivity to Christ and submit them to him. Grab a hold of them, amen? Because look, if you don't grab a hold of those evil thoughts, the, like I said a while ago, the enemy right behind it is a word of condemnation. And if you don't know, if you don't know, the, 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 you see our enemy, the devil, right? Walk, walks about like a roaring lion. The thing that he does is he brings condemnation to you. He tells you you're not good enough. He tells you that you've done something that God won't forgive. He tells you that walking in victories for other people, but not for folks like you because of your past or because you just don't understand or whatever it may be. He always brings a word of condemnation. Condemnation tells you you're not good enough. Stop trying. But the voice of the Spirit of God brings conviction. 
Conviction tells you you're broken. Come, let me fix you. Conviction tells you you're hurting, you're limping, you're bleeding. Come to the Savior. Come to the healer. Come to the restorer. Come to the repairer of the breach. Come to your refuge. Come to the rock. Come to the shelter. You see, the, the word of conviction grabs you by the hand and leads you to the Savior. A word of condemnation puts its boot on your neck and to, tells you to stop even trying. It's very important to remember the difference between these two voices. And one of the things that we one of the things that'll happen is in in, in this life, you're gonna come up into you're gonna come up into situations, okay? where you're going to have to make a determination to live by formula or live by faith. And I want to show you an example of this over um, in the book. Um, let's go over to, uh, i tell you what, let's go over to, let's go over to Numbers real quick. Let's go over to Numbers. Well, I tell you what, let's just, let's just do this. When, in Numbers 21, let's go over to Numbers chapter 21. Something I want to get out of here, and I don't want you to miss this. It's, it's really important. Numbers chapter number 21. Now, what happened in this passage is this is right after God had delivered Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And we're going to pick up this passage in verse number 3. It says, The Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the, the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, to compass the land of Edom. And listen to this. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now, just bear with me for a second. When God brought Israel out of Egypt, they didn't know which way they were going to go. God took them away. They knew not. Amen. And what they started out, they started out by walking in faith, following after, right? Following after God. Fire by day, I mean fire by night and cloud by day. They followed after God by faith. But there was a point in time, there was a point in time when they looked around them and they said, this way is not the way we should be. There was a point in time when they looked at their surroundings and they looked at their circumstances and their circumstances brought discouragement to their soul. You know why that is? You know why discouragement comes? Discouragement comes when we look at the way and not the way maker. If you look at the way and not the way maker, you're going to get discouraged. You're going to take your eyes off of the Savior you see, when we look at the way, we're looking at the formula. Well, that's not the way we're supposed to go. Whenever God brought them out of, out of Egypt, they thought, you know, hey, the Red Sea parted, and we're just going to walk on the highway of holiness and peace, and there's not going to be nothing coming against us. But nothing could have been farther from the truth. 
because they had battle after battle after battle after battle. But what was God doing? God was refining them. God was purifying them. God was building them up, amen, and God was testing their faith. God was trying their faith. And so God has a reason for everything that happens in our life. Well, I don't know why I'm here again. Nobody else has to do this. Can you just think about their situation? Just think about some of the comments that were probably going on in the camp. It says that they were discouraged because of the way. I can almost hear right now. Well, if I would have known that this is what it was going to be like, I would have stayed back there, right? If, if I would have known that this is how my life would be, I wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done... If I would have known, they said you know what, this way is discouraging because this is not the way I thought it should be. Wait, this is not the way I thought it should be. I thought God was in control, not you. You see, what's got to take place is we've got to take those thoughts and bring them into the captivity to Christ and say, God, I'm not the one who's driving the boat. You are. I'm not the one who's saying what should and should not happen. You are. I'm not the one who's in control. You are. You see, whenever we say that Jesus is the Lord of our life, always remember he's the Lord of your life. Is it, You can't take those reins back. You've got to surrender control to him. And what happens here is Jesus was leading them out. They were being led out into the wilderness, and they were going to get to the promised land. But because the way wasn't the way they wanted to go, they began to bellyache, and they began to moan. They began to get some dissension in there. It was some discouragement and some disappointment. And this is a word for you right now. This is a word for you. Don't get discouraged because God's not taking you the way you want to go. Don't get disappointed because things aren't turning out the way you want them to turn out. God is still God. God is still God, and God is the one that got you from yesterday to today. God knows what he's doing. God got you here today. God got you out of your past, and God got you to your present. Amen? Don't get discouraged because it hadn't happened as quick as you wanted it to happen. It hasn't been as pleasant as you wanted it to happen. It didn't go as fast as you wanted it to happen. He got you from there to here. Amen? And if you'll keep a heart of faith and an obedient heart, God will take you from today to whatever tomorrow holds. But if you get bitter, if you get, if you get complacent, if you start questioning God, this, is, this isn't how things are. It should have been done by now. What, you know, look at me. I'm just a failure. I should have been doing this by now, and I should have been doing that. You know what? If you have that kind of an attitude, you know what you're looking at? You're looking at the formula, and you're not walking by faith. Faith trusts God. Formula trusts circumstances. Faith trusts God. Formulas trust circumstances. And I promise you, not one person in here is through and through thrilled with every circumstance of their life. Nobody is, okay? Nobody is. Circumstances will always set you up for failure. And if you look at circumstances, you're going to get disappointed. And most importantly, one of the things that, you know, God just put on my heart is discouragement. Discouragement breeds in a place where you're looking at formulas and not faith. If you look to God, if you look to God, God will take you where you need to be. 
But if you look to circumstances, God will let you sit there till you rot. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. They, they bellyache. They complain. This is not how it's supposed to go. This is not how it's supposed to go. When we got out of, you know, I mean, we, we should be living a life of luxury, not living a life of trial by faith. I mean, this is not fun. And once they started the belly aching, God said, they all going to drop. All of them except for two, Joshua and Caleb. Every single one of the other ones rotted there in the desert, rotted in the way that they complained about. You know how many people are stuck because they're complaining about the way God's taken them through things? You know how many people today, their feet are like cement, they're stuck in their circumstances? Why? Because they look at their circumstances and they start belly aching, and God's going to let you stay there till you start looking to him again. You just stop looking at the circumstances. Take those thoughts and bring them into the captivity of Jesus Christ. Say, God, I don't know why you brought me here, but I'm going to give you glory while I'm here. Amen. I don't know why. I don't know why I don't have a home right now, but thank you, God, that I have a place I can go to. I don't know why I don't have a spouse right now, but thank you, God, for what you're preparing me for. I don't know why I don't have a child right now, God, but thank you for what you're preparing me for. See, this is a different thought life. This is taking those thoughts captive and bringing them to the obedience of Christ, living a life of faith versus living a life of a formula. If God's got to show you everything he's going to do, God's not going to show you nothing. Whenever, whenever Moses wanted to see God's face, he said, you can't see my face. He, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by, and you can see where I've been. You can see my hinder parts. See, with God, if you'll look at what God's done in your life, it'll give you faith for what God's going to do tomorrow. But if, if you keep looking, you know, well, tell me with this, tell me that, tell me this, tell me that. Just look at what God's done in your life. God got you too today. You may not be, you may not be all that you want to be. You may not be where you want to be, but God got you here. And if you'll trust God, he'll get you through to the other side. If you trust God, he'll get you through to the other side. Listen, listen real closely. You remember Jesus said that, that um, the, there's a narrow way and there's a broad way, right? Many go the broad way, right? Few, few. It's hard to go the narrow way. You know, if you look at this passage with the nation of Israel, how many people went on the path of destruction? Belly aching. The whole nation but two. Only two chose to look to the way maker and not the way. Only two. But God honored them, and God took them into the promised land. Amen? Look at this. When, when uh, Joshua and Caleb, they were two of the 12 spies. They were spying out the, the nation of Israel. They were spying out the promised land. And all the other 10, right? Remember what they said? There's giants. We can't do it. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. But you know what Joshua and Caleb said? Well, God said we could do it. They weren't looking at the circumstances. They weren't looking at the way. They were looking at the way maker. And if you look at the way and not the way maker, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. 
But if you'll take your eyes and keep them on the Savior, he'll take you from one glory to the next glory to the next glory to the next glory. He'll give you victory over this battle, this battle, this battle, and this battle. But the minute you start looking at the way, the minute you start looking at the formula, this is just what the Pharisees did, right? When they were talking to the guy that was blind, tell us how he did it. How did he do it? Well, I don't know that. All I know is I, I used to be blind, now I see he was just living a life of faith. I did what he said to do, and now I can see. And that's, that's the simplistic, obedient heart that God's looking for. That's, what, that's, why, that's why Caleb and Joshua's names are in the Bible, because they had simplistic, obedient heart. Well, God said we could take it. That simple faith took them into the promised land. Well, I don't know how. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I just know he's going to do it. And everybody, all the other ten spies, right, when they're telling everybody, they say, well, how can, how can that be? We're little grasshoppers. How? This is what the Pharisees said. How did he do it? I don't know. He just did. And that's the simplistic, obedient heart that God is looking for. And I'll tell you this morning, if you're battling something today, if you're battling something today, and if you just have simplistic, obedient faith, God will meet you here today and change your life. But if, if, if he's got to tell you every single little thing and connect every dot and, 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 and show you everything, and ex- well, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not how I imagined my life to be. Well, who's, in, who's the captain of the boat? Who's, who's the one on the throne, you or God? Because if God's the one on the throne, he's the one who takes the boat into whatever waters he wants to take them into. We want to stay in the calm places. We want to stay in the places where it's easy. We want to stay in the places where, you know, it doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't expend any faith. We want to stay in the, in the comfortable zone. But God wants to get us out there where it takes deep faith. Simple faith. Look, when you look out and you see big giants in the land, you want answers from God. How are we going to do this? But if you're a person who always has to ask how, you might end up rotting in the desert. But if you're a person who says, well, God said it could happen, if you're a person who just trusts that God is the God of the impossible, Look, I don't know how I can overcome this addiction, but I know with God, all things are possible. I don't know how my marriage is going to get healed, but I know God's the healer of all broken things. I don't know how God's going to restore my child, but I'm trusting him that he's going to do. I don't know how, but I know he can. I don't know when, but I know he will. Amen? Because God's good. Because God is good. And this is, why, this is why Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Discouragement comes when we look at formulas and not faith. Today, today, let's stop looking for the formula. Let's start, let's just get reacquainted with this life of faith that God has called us to to live. God has called us to live this. You know, one of the things that that I want to just say, and I'm going to close. If you constantly are trying to ask how, you're going to be disappointed and discouraged. But if you'll look to the who, not the how, you'll find victory. Victory comes when you look to the who, 
not the how. Okay? Victory comes from the who. The who is Jesus. The who is Jesus. If you'll look to Jesus for whatever it is, you'll find victory. But if you look for the how, you'll sit there. And you'll sit there, and you'll sit there, and then you know what's going to happen? If you hold on to disappointment and discouragement very long, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to get bitter. You're going you're to become a bitter person. A root of bitterness is when something happens and you don't understand why. Well, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did I end up here? How did this happen? A root of bitterness is when something happens and you don't understand. Discouragement, disappointment, you hold on to it, it's going to cause bitterness to swell up. God has not called you to look to the how. He's called you to look to the who. Amen? Believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you this morning. Thank you this morning that we serve a risen Savior, Lord. 